uh, all semester, this semester, um, Jesus has been teaching through this sermon what was his most extended teaching to the people around him. He taught them about this idea of, of this new way to live, this new way to be human. And it was a way that he said is the fullest way to live. He said, if you will follow me and if you will live as I am telling you to live, it will be the best you. And tonight he keeps on in that. He, uh, that doesn't make sense. He keeps on talking about that thing. Um, this guy named Emil Bruner, no, sorry, not Emil Bruner, Fred Bruner says this. He said, because um, Jesus starts to talk about money, and it sounds kind of like he's being kind of a curmudgeon when he starts talking about our money. And Bruner says, it is not because Jesus is a myth, misanthrope. Does anybody know what that means? I didn't either. It means a person who dislikes humankind and avoids human societies, kind of like a curmudgeon. It's not because Jesus is a misanthrope that he discourages the, the quest for human esteem. It is because he loves human beings. He urges them to avoid the inevitable despair that comes with evanescent glory. It doesn't last. Jesus does not want his disciples disappointed. What Brunner is saying, that Jesus is saying, is, hey, to live for these things that pass and that are temporary or evanescent will ultimately lead to despair and to severe disappointment. So it's actually Jesus' goodness and his kindness that leads him to talk frankly about treasure and about money and about our hearts in the way that he does. So let me pray for, it, uh, for us real quick before we listen to what he says. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would be kind and good to us right now. And the most kind thing you could do is to give us ears to hear this and to open our hearts that we might receive it. I pray that you would meet us where we are. I pray that you would minister to our hearts in the way that we need. And I pray that we would leave here changed because your Holy Spirit showed up and did something in us. We pray these things and ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, look at Matthew. Sorry I didn't make the handouts. That's one of many things I didn't do. But um, I try to have the stuff up on the screen. Matthew chapter 6, uh, beginning of verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This ends the reading of God's Word. On December 3rd, 2011, uh, during halftime of the SEC championship, what happened? You don't know. Um, this woman named Yvonne, uh, what's her, Yvonne Padilla Rodriguez uh, was invited out onto the field by Dr. Pepper. She had won some sort of contest or sweepstakes. And 
she uh, was invited out there to throw footballs through a little um, two-foot diameter circle in this blow-up Dr. Pepper can. And if she could make, I think if she could make uh, 10 or 12 of these within 30 seconds or 60 seconds, probably 60 seconds, then she would be awarded a $100,000 scholarship. And she, she looked like most of us. She didn't look particularly athletic. She was just kind of a normal person. And she stands out there five yards away, so essentially probably from the screen to the front row, from this inflatable Dr. Pepper can with a hole this big, with this stack of footballs. And, you know, the horns blow, and she starts throwing. She makes a few, and she misses a three. And it's getting, it's getting intense right down to the wire. And she makes her last two, and she scores 13 of them in a minute. And she, by doing that, she won $100,000 in scholarship money. And the moment that she had realized she had won, before they ever called her name or anything, she began to bawl. I mean, crazy crying right on the TV. It was, it was amazing. Um, and Tracy Wolfson, who's the CBS sideline analyst, she came up to Yvonne and said, Yvonne, tell me how important this is to you. And Yvonne, she's in between her, her tears and choking. She says, this is so important to me. She holds back. She says, Dr. Pepper is seriously the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> I'm so happy. It, it was beautiful. And it was so funny that she was like, Dr. Pepper, I love you so much. Um, I don't know why I thought that was so beautiful and funny. I think because it is. And if you don't think so, then you can leave. But um, look. <laughs> What's the best thing that could happen to you during college or after college? What's the best thing? Would it be, you know, scoring 13 goals or 12 goals through a Dr. Pepper inflatable can? That'd be amazing. $100,000 in scholarship? That's real. Some of you already have that because you're presidential scholars and you're like, no big deal. For most of us, that would be a big deal. Uh, when I was sitting around at freshman orientation, I'm a mentor, not just a creep. And so I was sitting around in the circle, and, um, and the, one of the questions the orientation leader asked was, hey, what is your, what's your goal after college? Like, what are you hoping to do college for? And the first guy, of course, is tremendously nervous. And he says, uh, just get a job and make as much money as I can. The second person said, sounds good. Third person said, sounds good. I mean, just all the way around. It's like, oh, gee. Finally, the last guy, uh, I'm not going to mention his name because many of you all know him and he'd probably be embarrassed. He actually said something very uh, different and very genuine, and I loved it. I was a little goobed out at first by it, but I I really appreciate that he was willing to kind of break the mold in that setting. Um, Look, here it is, is that Jesus in this passage is telling his hearers very plainly, That if you live and set your heart and your sights on material affirmation and accumulation, you will not feel close to God. Period. If you set your heart on material accumulation and on the affirmation that comes with that, You will not feel close to God because, friends, you will not be close to God. Right now, since you really, probably not many of you, have all that many possessions, 
You don't have a lot of money, so you're like, okay, I get a pass on this week. Jesus is actually inviting himself into your dreams and your desires. And he is saying that if you live not only with just material uh, accumulation or affirmation, but if you live and are guided by the desire for this heaping of material goods, this treasure, this kind of all-encompassing word that treasure means here, you will not feel close to God because you will not be close to God. And we're going to see how Jesus gets at that uh, in three different ways. The first way is this. The GPS of your treasure equals the GPS of your heart, which is kind of the title. (laughs) I didn't know how to say it differently, so I'm saying it again. Second thing is that the eyes are very useful, but also potentially dangerous and destructive. And thirdly is that it's not just unspiritual. It's actually impossible to serve both God and money. So let's look at this first thing. I'm going to reread 19 through 21. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Uh, this sounds kind of like a Hallmark card. It sounds nice. It's like, yeah. I assent to that. I mentally can go there. That sounds like a good thing, Jesus. That is what I ought to do. The question becomes, how do I actually do that? How do I live in this world seeking to have a job, seeking to make money, without seeking those things as my ultimate end? How do I live in this world and be rewarded with treasure of some sort and not seek to make that treasure my identity. Jesus answers by saying, well, it's easy. Store up your treasures in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, What do you mean? He means that we live for, that we value, that we spend our money on, and we give toward things that have eternal value and significance. Let me say that again. That we live for, value, spend our money on, give our time and money toward things that have eternal value and significance. Look, unlike unlike Buddha, who, who tries to get his followers to relinquish your desires, just to rid yourself of all desire, Jesus does not say that. He does not say your desire Your desiring is bad. He takes your desires and he redirects them. He redirects them from something temporary to something eternal. Okay, if you're like me, when you start thinking about living for eternal, that gets a little fuzzy. So what I did spend my time on was creating a chart. So um, we're going to see if this helps. If it doesn't, you can uh, yell at me later or something. Okay, so here's what this does. We have uh, the x-axis in this is uh, our time on earth. Okay? <laughs> Some of you physics majors got really excited, or calculus or whatever subject it is. So, time on earth. In 33 AD, Jesus died. 30 to 33, most historians say somewhere in there. After he was resurrected from the dead, after a time, he ascended. Okay, that's kind of, it's in the Apostles' Creed. It's some of the most basic teaching of Christianity. That's not to say if you don't know it, shame on you. That's just kind of what all most Christians affirm, that Jesus ascended to heaven. And so I actually put the error out of the screen on purpose because it's like, well, I don't know where he went. It's somewhere. 
Jesus is out there. And, but he promised to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's kind of cool and a little funky. So, like, the Holy Spirit's here, and he's out there, and he's doing something. You don't know what yet. Um, but here we are. So we're living in this time where the Holy Spirit's doing something. Jesus has already kind of done his thing. But he also promises that I am going to return. At some point in the future, I'm going to return, and I'm going to judge the world. And he's a righteous judge. He's not going to do it badly. He's going to do it right. He himself is sinless, so he can look rightly at something that's sinful and call it sin. You or I are sinful, and so we might look at something that's sinful and say, that's awesome. Not Jesus. He's a good judge, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. And then after that, I would venture to say most of the way that we kind of think is that at that time, Heaven will begin, and then hell, the bad mountainous area down here, um, <clears throat> hell will begin, right? And if you grew up in the church, then shame on you. You need to go to heaven and not to hell. Figure out how to get there. Jesus, yay. Okay, so if this is the way that we kind of picture what heaven is, then when Jesus says, store up for yourself treasure in heaven, it goes like this. Okay, I'll just take it, and I'll put my treasure out in heaven, and my heart will be there too. And so what that does for us, it kind of makes us check out. And we're like, okay, I'll, I'll just keep like sending my money or like kind of living for this future payout. Which is certainly part of the Christian doctrine. Is that one day, someday, y'all, it's going to be good. Really good. No sin. No more tears. No more hurting. No more breakups. It's going to be really good. And so if this is the way we think about heaven, when Jesus says, you know, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, and where your treasures are, your heart will be there too, then we're like, I guess someday I'll get the reward for that. But what I would suggest, the biblical picture of the way that heaven and earth and time and space work is like this. That heaven has always been. Because God is a spirit, and heaven is where God is. Now, we don't know where that is right now. We don't know where it is. But it's real. Hell is a real place where there are fallen angels and people who refused to trust in God and to believe in his Savior, Jesus. Okay, but same thing. Jesus dies, 33 AD. Jesus ascends to heaven. So right now, wherever heaven is, that's where Jesus is. It's a real place. Jesus is there in heaven bodily, which is mind-blowing. I, I can't explain it to you. Jesus is there right now. And from there, and here's our time, and from heaven, he is pouring out the Spirit. The Spirit is coming down from heaven, and it is acting in this world. And it is acting in you. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And he's at work in this world doing stuff and opening people's eyes to see their need for Jesus. That's happening right now. It's not just like out from nowhere. It's coming down from the Father and from the Son from heaven. This may be a bit academic. I don't really know uh, how else to do some of this. Um, It's not because I'm really smart. It's because probably I'm not that smart. I don't know. But Jesus is going to return, final judgment, same thing. And from that point on, heaven comes down. When you read in the books of Revelation and even Paul a little bit in Thessalonians, he talks of heaven coming down to earth. That it isn't that we escape into this ethereal place of clouds and where we're like on clouds smoking heavenly dope and all this stuff. Like heaven is going to be a real thing. 
It's going to be on earth. God is going to come again and be with mankind just like He was in the garden, except it's going to be better. And that will continue for eternity. So, when Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, store up your treasures in heaven, and there will your heart be, He's saying that is something to do right now. And there are benefits to be had right now from doing that. We don't know exactly what that is. Last week we talked about, Jesus says, and your Father in heaven will reward you. We don't know exactly what that is. Maybe it's closer intimacy with God. Maybe it's assurance of salvation. Maybe it's peace of conscience. I don't know. But there's a real benefit for us to be gained from that right now, if nothing else than closeness to God in knowing that we are living in obedience to Him. And there will also be the ultimate payout one day, someday, when God comes back and we are reunited with Him. No more sin. And we will be fully rewarded for whatever we gave. Um, If you need, like, tutoring after that, come and talk to me. I don't know if it made sense or not. Jesus is trying to get us to see that heaven is a real place. And it's not just a future thing. It's a right now thing. And so when you do things, when you seek to live for God's glory and not for your own glory, for the good of others and not just self-consumption and self-absorption, that is something that is doing, making a difference right now in the world and in your world. Because it's freeing you from this thought that everything that I have is mine. And everything that I am is what I have. You are more than your possessions. You are more than your treasure. And Jesus is trying to get us to see that. To have treasure in heaven means to have life with God now, but but it will be visible only in the next world how rich that is. So Jesus naturally concludes in verse 21 up there. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If your goal in this life is to impress others, if your goal in this life is to acquire personal treasures and fame and fortune, your center of gravity will always, always, always be people and what they think of you. If you live for this world, This world is going to be your scorecard. Our goals, what you dream about, what you desire, are often our gods. Our goals are often our gods, and this is what I mean. That we may say that we love God. God, I love you. We may even pray, God, I love you so much. But friends, your God or your God's or whatever those things are in your life right now that you think, if this thing falls apart, or if I lose that, or if I don't get that, then I don't know. I can't imagine life going on. You may say you love God. You may say you love Jesus and follow Him. If there are things in your life which serve as those functional gods, that's actually what you follow. And that's not to say you don't love Jesus. It's just to say He doesn't have the throne of your heart. You've given it to something else, a lesser God. Some of you, um, and I know this because I talk with you, 
Some of you walk around so beat down and disillusioned and disappointed in life. You're constantly sad, constantly feeling unfulfilled, like things just aren't working out for you. Where are you investing your money? Where are you investing your treasure? Where are your goals? Are they just to get a good job and to make a lot of money? Is there anything more? Where are you investing your energy? Where are you investing your life, your treasure, and asking it to pay massive dividends that it can never pay? Where are you doing that? I can tell you where I do it. I don't want to make this all about me. I can. I want people to think I'm great. What do you want to be? Where are you doing this? When we do this, it's really no wonder that we're so anxious. It's really no wonder that we're so depressed. Because, friends, what we're doing is we're looking at a mirage and we're asking it to be real. We're asking for it to give us something that it can't give because it's not real. It's not lasting. It can't fill the deep place of your heart because it was never created to. I don't, we don't need to sit here and list all the celebrities who have tons of money, more than they could ever know, and just listen to them one after the other say, it's empty, it's empty. I thought it would be more. I thought it would be fulfilling. It's not. It's empty. Jesus asks us to store up treasures from heaven because they are safer there. And because our hearts will follow our treasure, our hearts will be safer there. If you live for things that aren't of this world, if you live and seek to, to treasure, to store up your treasures in heaven, your heart will be more safe. Bruner, the same guy I mentioned earlier, uh, he said this. He said, we want treasures because they give us security. Amen, we do. We want good jobs because we don't want to imagine what it would be like to not have food, to not have a house, to not have stuff, to not be able to provide for ourselves. So we like the security that comes with that. But he says, because of decay or moth, rust, thieves, treasures lead us to security's opposite, anxiety. Because our riches bring us into a constant war with decay, they do not bring us rest. Do you get what he's saying? When you live for this stuff, when you live for temporary things, and you look to those things to give you security, because of the very nature of what's happening in this world, that things are moving from together to broken. You will look at your security and it will crumble. It is always crumbling. And so we get anxious about that. And Jesus is inviting us to something so much better. He's inviting us to rest. To lay up our treasure in heaven. And to know that there nothing can touch it. Nothing can touch it. He goes on to say that eyes are useful They're also potentially destructive. Verse 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus is showing this very intimate and close relationship between our heart and our eyes. He's looking and saying, look, the way that the Bible, the way the heart is is used in Scripture 
It's to say that from it flow the issues of life. The heart in the Bible is this kind of rich imagery of your insides. You know that, just the gut feeling. That's how the Bible talks about the heart. That you, you make decisions because it feels right deep within. It comes out from your heart. And he's saying that your eyes deliver the information to your heart. So, uh, when was the last time you looked at someone else's stuff? Or maybe more appropriately, if you're like me at all, when was the last time you couldn't, you couldn't stop looking at other people's stuff saying, I wish mine was better? I wish I had that. I wish my house looked that, that way. I wish my, wish my car looked that way. I wish my boyfriend looked that way. Don't tell him. Uh, I wish, you know, Whatever. Our eyes are covetousness. They want what they don't have. And Jesus is calling us, inviting us into a place of contentment. Where our eyes wouldn't bring in darkness and therefore deliver darkness to our heart and have darkness come out. Having your eye focused on living for God and seeking the thing that He seeks. And investing your money in things that last. And this is not to say savings are bad. It's not to say retirement is a necessary evil thing. I think there are ways to do retirement that are very evil. And very selfish. But Jesus is calling us to find where God's heart is in relation to money. And it's going to be really uncomfortable in how much God talks about giving it away. And so he says, when you have your eye on living for God, for God, that that godly ambition throws light on everything. That when you follow God, it literally is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, the psalmist says. But when your ambition is to serve your own self and your own desires, it plunges everything into darkness. Because it's, I mean, how do you look at yourself without a mirror? You can't. So it's like... You close your eyes and hope that they're mirrors. And so you're just looking back at yourself, but it's darkness. And so if darkness is coming in, if we're looking around us and we just want me, I want to live for me, Jesus is saying, it'll be dark. It will be dark. And it makes us prideful. And it makes us self-indulgent. And it crushes charity. I don't know if any of you know people who are really, really, really rich. I w if you find somebody who's really, really wealthy and who you know gives away a lot of money, invite them to lunch and talk to them about how they do that. Because there's something going on there. Either they're doing it to get their name out there on buildings and all the, the, the vain glory that comes with people's approval, or they get something deep about what Jesus is getting at here. So question, if I can't take my eye off material things, if, I, if my eyes are constantly being drawn to other things that I don't have, the question you have to start asking is, how is my heart? Because your heart will follow. And it just begins this spiral. As soon as your heart follows, your eyes will want it more and back and back and back and forth. So how's your heart? Do you find yourself constantly dissatisfied with what God was, has given you? Or do you actually believe, sometimes at least, that God is a good God who is giving you exactly what He thinks you need? One will lead you 
to selfishness and despair. One will lead you to joy and hope. Lastly, friends, it's not unspiritual to serve God in money. Jesus doesn't give us that option. He just comes out and says, it's impossible. I wish that it said unspiritual because that would, that would, like, that would excuse my behavior. Oh, gosh, Brent, you were bad today. Mm, just get it together. He says you can't do it. Either you're going to love one and be devoted to it, or you'll love the other and be devoted to it. And this is so hard. It's so hard. Nobody can serve two masters. The essence of slavery is single ownership. And that's what he's talking about, mastery. Is that one person has you, one thing has you. And that slave, that ma- or that, that master, whenever he wants you, he calls for you and he gets you. And you're his. So how do I escape this? I don't feel close to God, but I want to. How do I get out of this? I feel, I feel the pull of trying to serve two masters. I assume that you do. For those of you who, who claim to follow Jesus and want to follow Jesus, I assume that when you think about the future and your goals and your desires, you will run into this at some point. And for those of you who might not be Christians, I, do, you, do you struggle with this? What is it like to think that all that you're living for is yourself? is vain, vain glory in, in, in the approval of others, accumulation and affirmation. So how do you escape this? You won't escape this until you find a better master. You won't escape it until you find something better than serving money and living for possessions. And so what is better than that? And you'll never be able to until you find somebody or something that can actually free you. So you'll never want to at a volitional level. You'll never want to unless you see something better. And you'll never be able to at an ability level unless something comes and frees you. Well, I have the best news in the world for you. Jesus Christ is both of those things. Bear with me as I explain this. He is a kind master who came to bring you out of the allure of this world. He offers you something so much deeper. You know that that gnawing that you feel when something you thought would satisfy you here that you live for? A guy or a girl or money or a job or grad school or whatever. When you thought that thing would would give it to you and you got it and you realized it didn't, that feeling, Jesus says, I can feel that. I know all about that. I created that in you. And I created you to where nothing else would fill that except me. And he says that he's a kind master. He came to give you rest, not slavery. He came to deliver you into something so much better. But he's more than that. He's actually the one who can do it. He is God. He is able to break you out of that slavery. And so even as you think about it, you can pray to Him and say, Jesus, I want You, and I need You to free me so that I might become a servant to You, and I might lay my treasure up where You are and live as You would want me to. 
There was a pastor in Richmond, Virginia, about 150 years ago, and this is, uh, I'm going to close with this. And I've, I've shared this before, I think, but it's really powerful. Um, his name was a Dr. Hogue, Samuel Hogue, and he planted a church called Second Presbyterian Church in Richmond. It's still there today. Um, and the interesting thing that was, uh, was that Dr. Ho- Dr. Hogue hated slavery. He hated it. And yet he was a pastor in essentially the slave capital of the world in the 1850s and 1860s. Well, he ended up marrying a woman whose dowry included seven slaves. <laughs> that would be weird, I would think. Um, hey, uh, I want to marry your daughter. Great. And you get seven slaves. Um, well, the first thing Dr. Hope did when he was the owner of the seven slaves is he immediately set them free. But what happened next baffled him. He couldn't make sense of it. Because one slave left, but the other six would not leave his property. They stayed. And finally, he was kind of frustrated by this. And he looked at them and said, don't you get it? You are free. You can go anywhere you want. You can do anything you want. No one is going to stop you. I am declaring you to be free. And one of those slaves said, sir... If I can go anywhere and do anything, then I would like to stay here with you and keep the barn. And we think that's odd. But remember up until that point that these men had lived in this horrific institute of slavery, in this system that had them pushed down and depressed, only doing what was told them they must do cast away, down and out. But here they met a man, maybe the first man in their life, that treated them with dignity and honor and integrity. And their newfound freedom, they couldn't imagine life away from him. And then, in the midst of that slavery, emerges someone who looks an awful lot like Dr. Hogue, but is infinitely greater. Friends, Jesus has come to offer you freedom from this world and its stuff. And he's actually given you the ability to do that. He makes that possible. And he holds it out to you and says, don't you want to be free? And if you get it at all, you say, yes. And I never want to leave you ever again. I want to do what you want me to do. It's a glorious... It's a glorious slavery to a glorious master. And I wonder if that's how you know Jesus or if you experience him as the hard master who you just think wants you to do stuff for him. One of those leads to depression and anxiety. One of those leads to joy. I pray that you would find the the, the true Jesus who wants to set you free. Let's pray.